What's up, Slow Drip listeners? This is your host, Zach. And Matt. And we have an exciting announcement. CisternaCoffeeCo.com is officially up and running. We are live. And everything is in stock. Uh, We've got our mugs ready to ship. Right in time for Christmas. Today's date is December the 7th. Um, So everything is ready for you to go. Um, Bolivian coffee's in stock. Thai coffee's in stock. Everything's freshly roasted. Coffee mugs, decals. Uh, This has been a long time coming. The site is beautiful and uh, ready to go. So... Wherever you're joining us on the Slow Drip journey, whether it's episode one or the end of the season, take a minute and go check out our new website and store and uh, pick up some coffee just in time for the holidays. Maybe maybe it'll be back next year. Did they say why they took it out? Well, I didn't read into that far, like... Why? So you read the title of 12 articles. That's fair. <laughs> I'm just glad this isn't live. One day we're going to have to do one live. That's going to be nerve-wracking. Whew. But anyway, thank you for joining us once again, and welcome to the Slow Drip Podcast. I'm Matt Luce, and with me today is Zach Moore, as always. And we're glad that you're with us, because... We know there's about a million podcasts out there that you could be listening and to. And you chose to listen to us. But you chose to listen to The Slow Drip. And for that, we're grateful. Today on, on our episode, before we got, dive right in, um, we are sampling a Bolivian micro-lot coffee. Uh, this comes from one of our suppliers in Santa Cruz, Bolivia. And this is a single origin micro lot, meaning that it's all the same varietal of coffee, but it's grown by small independent coffee producers. And we're talking uh, Campesino farmers that may only have nine or ten plants on their family plot of land. And then our supplier and coffee producer, Francisco, he has direct relationships with these individuals, and so all of their coffee is purchased up together and then processed together. So it's a uh, wash process and uh, then uh, makes its way up for us to, to sample. And I say this is a sample micro lot. This is one we do hope to uh, be bringing in as a direct trade import later on this year. Mm-hmm. So what do you think, Zach? Uh, it's a good bit broader than the last one we had. I agree. Um, we last week were taking a, a a sample of a Honduran, and this has a lot of the same characteristics that you would expect from a Central or South American coffee as well. I do think it is brighter. Um, it almost has almost has a juicy mouthfeel to it. Um, juicy. Mm-hmm. Elaborate. Okay, so, and again, we've talked about coming up very soon, we're going to do a whole episode where we talk about how to taste coffee, but, you know, when you talk about juicy mouthfeel, the opposite <laughs> would be, like, dry, like a coffee that's dry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, okay, okay. Or, or bitter, or astringent, or, you know, some of these other types of... We should talk about doing 
an episode where we talk about it, but never actually do it. So, so we're 300 episodes in. One of these days we're going to get around to these episodes where we talk about how to actually taste coffee. <laughs> but we never actually do. It's like how we perpetually take a break. Yeah. We it's just one continuous and, episode. Yeah, and then we're going to take a break for a while. All right. See you guys uh, later. Not yet, but oh. soon enough. Uh, right. I, I think this Bolivian coffee uh, tastes like golden raisin. Um, there's a subtle sweetness to it. And it's not really bitter. Um, and I think it has a pretty clean finish. And I like it. Uh, I think it's one that um, we'll have in the Cisterna lineup soon enough. And I'm excited about that. I think it's one that I really enjoy. Yeah. Is that all you have on it? You don't, um, you're still thinking about it? Well, this is like the second or third time I've had it, I mm-hmm. think. But... I just um, I'm not I'm I'm not sure how I feel about it yet. I, I mean I, I I like it. It's just I don't know. Maybe it's not what I'm used to. I've been drinking our Thai coffee so much. Um, mm-hmm. which has a, a kind of a more chocolatey note to it. Yeah, it's not very acidic at all. Mm-mm. This does have a well. I think it's raisin. It has a a dried fruit aftertaste. Or did we just talk about dried fruit? We, we did. <laughs> we did just talk about. And maybe that's why I like it. Maybe it, it has a a, yeah, a dried is. fig. Maybe that's why flavor. Yeah, and that's something that I I really like. So maybe that's what it is. It's not that I don't like it. It's a. I mean, it's a great mm-hmm. coffee. It's just I can't wait for you to go with me to meet the individuals that produce this coffee. Because I have been in their living rooms and sat with them and watched the little boys keep the chickens off of the coffee as it's drying in front of the family villas. And it's it's really cool to see, you know, on that micro level yeah. of production. Um, and then be like, yeah, that's what we're investing in. That's how we're sourcing our coffee. Um, and this is from Buena Vista. Uh, Bolivia, just outside of Santa Cruz, and it's kind of like right on the edge of the rainforest that forms at the the very foothills of the Andes. And so there are about 400 coffee producers in a 320 hectare swath of public land or or privately owned land next to the public uh, rainforest park. So you're driving through like rainforest and jungle to get to where this coffee comes from and it's absolutely beautiful so can't wait to go yeah pack your bags i think we're going soon let's do it yeah well this week we're talking uh about the masters and the masters was just played last weekend i don't know when this episode will be released but um the 86th masters was played last weekend and you got to go i did I was so it was it was my first time, and is uh, a buddy of mine, a good friend of mine. Uh, he's in our Bible study group. He texts me on April Fools, on April first, and uh, he's like, "Hey man, you know anybody wants master tickets?" And I'm like, "Uh yeah." And then I was like, "Wait, good try. You almost got me. I'm on high alert today. You're not gonna fool me with that." But he was like, "No, actually, like I've really got them. They're for Tuesday, and I can't go." Do you want them? And I was like, absolutely I do. 
Um, so me and my brother-in-law went and, uh, it kind of sucked cause we got rained out. So we got there about eight, eight thirty, and then they evacuated the entire course at like eleven thirty. So we jogged 18 holes just so we could see everything. Um, the most, yeah, it was, I, I, you can't explain it. You just, you have to see it for yourself. You, you can't explain something like that. Mm-hmm. But two cool things that happened. Um, Scotty Scheffler won. Well, we were there on Tuesday. It was a practice day. And we watched Scotty and Xander and Patrick Cantlay. We watched them tee off at one, and we followed them through one, and we followed them down two and three. Um, but we were about halfway down the fairway on two, and Scotty Scheffler hits a ball over, like, he, he tees off and then yells four right. And we take cover cover our heads ball ends like four feet behind us on our side of the rope mm-hmm. and we're like one of us one of us. because i mean we we're never hitting the fairway there but um it was just cool the champion right number one golfer in the world right now almost hit you with a golf ball almost hit me with a golf ball and i would have gladly accepted that hit uh-huh. just that goose egg and trip yeah. to the hospital absolutely concussion I mean, I wouldn't go that far, but it was, it was super cool. Um, and, uh, I mean, those guys are just, they're on a whole nother level. I mean, it's unbelievable. And like, I've, I've never, that was, and actually not only is that my first trip to Augusta, that is my first PGA event. Hmm. So. Well, you're one up on me there. It's all downhill from here for me. (laughs) (laughs) Get the best out of the way. Well, next time you want to. Be able to see the whole thing, not have to jog it, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Oh. Yeah, so um, we did the we did the stuff like um, the the pimento cheese sandwich. Um, got a cup of coffee, uh, got a tea, just so I could take the cup home. Um, but got a pimento cheese sandwich. I, I just couldn't believe they were a buck buck and a half. So I was looking into the concessions because I wanted to talk about the concessions at the masters in particular. And I had no idea that it was a buck 50 for, they won't change the price for any. Yeah. Well, for a couple of things, right? I mean, yeah, everything, right. The staple, the staple items, everything is very, very moderately priced from what I saw. Yeah. I Um, I spent like 10 bucks. Did you get an egg salad sandwich? I didn't No, We, so I was going to, we were on our way back. We were going to go to the shop and we're going to go, back to concessions because i mean we just we just jogged a good bit so Mm -hmm. we were hungry again um and i was gonna get an egg salad sandwich just so i could say i tried it or i tried both right um but they closed they closed everything up as we were walking up and oh man yeah we had yeah so nothing says nothing says like i just jogged 18 holes on a golf course and now what i need is mayonnaise (laughs) and boiled eggs that's good. That's that's gonna hit the spot. You know, it's probably probably good that we didn't, right? Because that'd been an awful ride home. <laughs> it would just oh man, that would have been that would have hurt. Yeah. Oh man, um, when I was looking up about the concessions, I literally I searched Masters concessions, um, 
in particular, I wanted some stats on like how many egg salad sandwiches, how many pimento cheese sandwiches. That's what I was curious about. Couldn't find any of that, but I saw at least a dozen articles of fan the whole fan base lamenting the fact that they had removed the peach ice cream sandwich from mm. the menu this year. Mm-hmm. And and some people were going That's on record. I, I didn't know that it was a thing. So. Right. Well, some people were quoted as saying that this was a crushing blow to. I don't know, the golf world, their own personal psyche. I'm not 100% sure, but like, I felt like that was that was going a little far to say that the deprivation of a peach ice cream sandwich was a crushing blow. Must be one stellar peach ice cream sandwich. Maybe, maybe it'll be bad next year. Did I, they say why they took it out? Well, I didn't read into that far, like, why. So you read the title of 12 articles that's fair i read (laughs) i read the abstract i read the first paragraph of most of them but if they were listing down in the bottom you know why um i did not get that far in Hmm. no i did read one article that was i think from golf digest and this this guy was talking about he went to the master specifically to try everything and rate you know rank all of the food um on a a b c scale and i thought I mean, how do you get that job? That'd be a dope job. Right. <laughs> that would be, first you know, of all, it's beautiful. Their coffee isn't bad. Really? Their coffee was not bad. Hmm. Well, uh, we're not here just to talk about concessions at the Masters. Of course not. But uh, one thing in particular, I just, I've been thinking about this a lot. And since you got to go last week, I was really hoping you'd try the egg salad sandwich. It reminds me, I had a dear friend, and his name was James. Uh, He's no longer with us, Um, and that's why I wanted to kind of share his story because your trip to the Masters reminded me of that, and if there was one thing that James loved, it was an egg salad sandwich from the Masters. Like, I don't know if he ever actually went to Augusta, but he would make a ton of egg salad when the Masters rolled around every year. Like, that was his (laughs) So not egg salad from the Masters, but... A egg salad because of the Masters. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, um, that was the, his thing. You know, we're gonna have egg salad because it's Masters week, and and James was a golfer, which is a strange connection to make, right? But well, let me let me tell you a little bit about James. Okay, and then it might make sense. Okay, he was a strange individual, um, and I I dearly love James. Uh, he was kind of one of those hard individuals to get to know Mm -hmm. um i met him through our church when we first moved to macon and uh, he was a confirmed bachelor i think he was 56 or 57 when i first met him um but we just started to develop this friendship um and man it was (laughs) he was an interesting guy to know um he was a lawyer um but it was really kind of just like a side gig for him uh, because it, he, he was like, I'm only going to work as much as I want to and uh, confirm bachelor. And he had, I mean, dude was brilliant and he had all of like the academic acc- accolades that you could stack up. Uh, I think he w- went to Pepperdine for law school um, and he shared some of that, uh, some of his life story, the more I got to know him. Um, and then, um, yeah, one day he was gone and that's kind of what I wanted to just talk a little bit about today um 
was kind of how I, I came to know him, and that was an interesting story. Um, James was diabetic, and he didn't take care of himself, mm-hmm. and so he had developed this foot sore, and um, he knew of my past experiences in Africa. I must have shared at one point about how I almost lost a toe because um, I was 19 years old and ran around in flip-flops, basically. Um, and so I got I, I got a bad wound on my foot one time, and so when James developed a foot wound, his natural course of action was not to go to the doctor, but to call me because I had also had a bad foot wound at one point and to ask me what to do. And um, so I got to know him. No, 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 you can't just go past that. What did you tell him to do? I told him to go to the hospital. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, literally, I was like, this is really bad. Um it was a, a, a diabetic wound, and um, which I'm not going to go into in case you are enjoying coffee or eating a meal or whatever while you're listening to this. Uh, but those that do know what I'm talking about know yeah. what, what I'm talking about. Anyway, um, <clears throat> I took one look at it and said, I, I, this is way beyond my pay grade, as it were. Uh, you need to have this looked at. And he said, no. Nah. Uh, he did not believe in health insurance because he felt like it was a racket. So it was just kind of like, he was a really interesting character. And so it was like, all right, well, he said, well, can you help me out? Do the best you can, patch it up. Um, and so that's how we got to know each other. Um, for five weeks, I would go over to his house every other night, clean the wound, bandage the wound and help take care. That's how you got to know this guy. Yeah was through that experience and, you know and then it'd be like hey the braves are on so can you hang out and let's, so we'd watch some of the braves and of course he always said the bravos he matt the bravos are playing you want to hang out wrap up my foot and let's watch yep chipper hit some <laughs> that's exactly right that's how it went down um and this was i think this was all starting out this was going down the year that the nationals won the world series uh, <laughs> Uh, well, it was a great, great victory for me. I was in Saigon, Vietnam, listening to the Nats win the World Series, and I was cheered them on from the rooftop of my hostel. Very excited about that. But uh, no one else knew what was going on. No, no, absolutely no one. This man is crazy. Well, the other sidebar conversation about that is that uh, I was in tomorrow listening to yesterday on the radio, <laughs> um, and so it was 11 a.m. as the game was wrapping up. The night before. The night before, right. That's that's actually pretty cool. So that was kind of nice. So, yeah, that's how I got to know James was I would go over, I'd clean the wound, wrap it up, try to convince him to go to the doctor. Not going to happen. Okay, well, I'll see you in two days, I guess. And this went on for five weeks. And through the course of all of that, James continued to get a little bit more sick and a little bit more sick. Um until I finally said, uh, there's no way around it. Like, mm-hmm. I'm taking you to the hospital now. And at that point, he he had kind of gotten weak enough that even if he wanted to fight me. He was agreeable at yeah, that point. Yeah, he was like, oh, okay. So we took him in, and uh doctor took one look at it, and I um, was like, well, this is going to be surgery. And so James ended up losing that leg. Uh, from the knee down. Mm. Um, interestingly enough, coming out of that 
surgery and a amputation he had the i think not the opportunity but he you know i think when someone goes through something like that there's a knee-jerk kind of to question god or to be angry and james came out of the surgery on the other side it was like here's another opportunity new lease on life um and really like it took the next year and a half before he, he ended up passing away um to be incredibly missional with his life um and uh he was by his own definition a foodie which is why i think egg salad sandwiches came into the conversation a lot um and he knew that i was a home chef and liked to cook for my family and so we we'd share dinner pics and i'd you know take a picture of what i'd cook iris and vera and send it to him and he'd send back what he'd made which inevitably was like an open-faced sandwich with everything that he had in the cupboard on it and then put in the toaster oven like he he lived and died by the toaster oven that was in his home office that's how he cooked everything and i think if he had ever gotten a master's egg salad sandwich he probably would have covered it in sauerkraut and hot sauce and maybe smoked gouda cheese that was one of his favorites one way to do it slap it in the toaster oven (laughs) broil the whole thing and then call it chow tan well not chow i mean that was high cuisine for him (laughs) (laughs) then i'd get a picture he's like what do you think i'm like "Mm." it's questionable yeah at best (laughs) at best (laughs) it's questionable um but it's just that that's just kind of who he was and it getting to know him in that season of his life it was an interesting interesting thing and um i don't know i've been thinking about it a lot uh, a lot more lately i miss him he was hard to know in a lot of ways but man i miss him sometimes um with all these kind of funny quirks that he had like that um so yeah he, you saw him during covid right i did uh towards toward he was towards the end of his life um and uh uh but coming out of the surgery, um, he made it a point. He said, you know, I'm going to not let this define me in a negative way, and then I'm going to kind of rebound and use it as a way to, to share the gospel. And I think that's what I remember the most about him is that um, for all of his foibles, he really <clears throat> was intentional about being missional mm-hmm. in life. Um like he was a foodie or he thought himself a, a foodie. And um, so in Macon, the culinary school runs a restaurant that's open one meal a week called the Compass Rose. Mm-hmm. And it's where the culinary students practice a different menu every week. And so they kind of show what they're learning. And for a very reasonable price, I mean, James was super, super frugal, um, hardly ever spent any cash on himself or really anything um and i think after he lost his leg he had like a a used wheelchair that you know had a wobbly wheel and uh, it was it was like man james can't you get a, a new wheelchair i mean i'm lugging you in and out of your apartment <laughs> can't help me out here <laughs> um but he loved the compass rose because it was frugal and it was a good meal and it was always different and you knew you had arrived if James invited you to the Compass Rose. And he would save that 
you were the in you were you were on in the crowd, in, yeah. in crowd at that point and and he used that to bring and you never knew who you were gonna go have lunch with you know you knew you're gonna have lunch with james um and then he might invite someone he met on the street that day or last week or you know a neighbor and for him it was this way to continually bring people into contact with the goodness of Christ in a unique and different way um, and be missional uh, he also played Pokemon Go uh, that was he worked as little as possible so that he could play Pogo as much as possible which sounds funny for a 57 year old man to do uh, but again for him it was missional and he talked about like yo you know these friends that I met and he would share Jesus with them and talk about church with them and um I'd call him up sometimes and be like, hey, what are you doing? He's like, well, um, I've got about 20 minutes, but then we're all going to meet up at, you know, Tattano Square Park for a big pogo trade. We're trading Pokemons or we're, there's a battle. I don't know. I don't know how it's played. I, I would hear him talking about it, but um, uh, it, that was just kind of a driving point in his life. It was interesting, and he used it to be intentionally missional for the kingdom all the time. Hmm. And I remember there'd be times that I'd be going to somewhere downtown Macon, drive by Washington Public Library, and he'd be standing on the corner even after he lost his leg. When he finally got around to getting fitted for a prosthesis, he'd be back on the corner standing there playing pogo uh, and I'd honk and wave at him as I drove by and uh, you know, he'd wave back whatever. And I was like, yeah, it's He'd text me later and be like, sorry, I was trying to win a new Pokemon or, or whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. That's what I figured. Um, so I don't know. He's just a unique guy. And I think the thing that really stuck out to me the most um, was that intentional missionality in his life. I mean, I don't know. For all of his foibles and for all of the weird quirks, there have been few people I met in my life that were that intentional about being on mission for the Great Commission mm-hmm. all the time. Um, and, I mean, he had a lot of faults, and he would have been the first to, to admit that. Um, but through all of that, like, he was super, super intentional. Um, and I'm, I think that's what I miss the most in, in missing him. The last time I saw James... He had come by our house. This was like right in the middle of pandemic. And we had been out like shopping and like getting groceries or whatever. We pull in our neighborhood and Iris, we're driving by and Iris is like, uh, is that, that looks like James's car. <laughs> I'm like, yep, yeah, well, it's hard to miss. Like it was this battered Honda element with the entire like back glass covered in stickers <laughs> and it's like yeah that's james um and so we we drove into the neighborhood and i thought well he's probably just playing pogo and this was a a treasure hunt location or something and uh that's why he's here so we're downstairs we're unloading groceries and like 10 minutes later the doorbell rings and james is at the front door and i'm like oh hey this is 
height of the pandemic, no one really knows what's going on, what the COVID will do or does or how virulent or not virulent it is or whatever. And so I made a judgment call that I regret, you know, even today because I didn't invite him in. Um, I stepped out onto our front porch and was like, hey, what's going on? And he's like, oh, well, I was in the neighborhood. You were literally in the neighborhood. He was staking out the neighborhood uh, to see (laughs) when we were going to be home. Um, And he said, I was just at this used bookshop and I found a couple of books that reminded me of you. And so I just wanted to drop them off. And it was, uh, one was about food. The one that I I really remember and have, have read through is called Drinking Coffee Elsewhere. And it's just this one kind of freelance writers, freewheeling walk through coffee around the world. Kind of like some of the stories that we've shared on on other episodes. And he's like, I just I just saw him and thought of you, thought you might enjoy him. And I was like, Oh, thanks. And he's, Well, what's going on? And we hadn't been able to see each other. Churches weren't meeting in person. And I said, Well, you know not really a great time we just got back from the store i'm unloading uh groceries and uh we need to catch up soon oh okay well, i'll see you later matt and so he headed home and i got a call eight days later that he'd passed away mm-hmm. and uh you know i just i i've thought about that a lot i'm like how how i wish i could have done that different or how i wish had I known what was coming, would have come on in. Let's let's have a cup of coffee. Let's talk. Let's share life and catch up. And and I didn't. And I'm never going to get that chance again this side of heaven. Yeah. Now I know I know James is secure and he was secure in his faith. Um. And you know when he passed away, it was you know he passed quickly. It was unexpected, obviously. Um. But uh. You know I just hadn't hadn't shaken that of like I wish I could redo that you know and there are a few moments of my life like that where it's like I wish I'd played that card differently or um, had been more intentional which you know as I look back it's like such a huge contrast for how he lived his life you know like if I'd shown up at his apartment with whatever you'd have been there for two or three hours oh yeah yeah, the Bravos would have been on and we would have been broiling ramen noodles in a toaster oven and uh you know two three hour conversation and and i'm not gonna ever get that chance uh this side of the mortal veil with him again um one of the coolest things though about the celebration of life after this because it caught everybody off you know off a little bit and, and off guard i can't tell you how many people showed up to church that would have never darkened the doorway and they said, well, I met James playing Pokemon Go. And he told me about this place. And so they got to hear a gospel message in his funeral and celebration of life. And you know, people were coming up and talking about, you know, he would call and he would check in. And again, we, we met playing Pokemon Go or he invited me out to Compass Rose. Um, and we had lunch and he learned more about who I was. And, uh, and it was like, man weird dude in so many ways and in some ways very hard to love but he 
at one level, like in the core, I think he really got what it was to live life on mission. And um, he would have been the first to say, I don't get it right often or mm-hmm. all the time, but I'm trying. And uh, and so, you know, through that, I think when I just thought about it again, you know, I think you texted me and said, you'll never believe this, but I get to go to the Masters. And I was like, oh, and I know a one-legged man who would have loved <laughs> to go, you know. Um, and then it's just like the way he lived life missionally and intentionally missional. You know, <clears throat> similar story about, I mean, we don't have time to talk about it right now, but I mean, you've, I, you've heard about my dad um, and how he passed and that was sudden too and that was it was very very difficult um it's been a little over five years now and um you know after the fact you always realize things that you would have done differently Mm -hmm. and um the regret greatly outweighs what would have been an inconvenience Mm -hmm. or what you think would have been an inconvenience at the time and um it's ah, that's that's tough that's a hard and now like i mean i'm sure like if i were in your shoes and felt the same way that you do now like you'd have probably wore the guy like a backpack and jogged 18 holes at the masters just mm-hmm. so you could check it out and eat an egg salad sandwich and spill mayonnaise down your back or <laughs> just because he well, I know that would have, yeah, that would have happened, probably, <laughs> or he would have, he would have expressed a desire to to make that happen, yeah, and he was not afraid of asking, like the most, sometimes the most random or, like, are you really asking me to do that? Like unthinkable. Yeah, I mean, he asked me and let me wash his foot every day for five weeks. So, like, you know, the, it's kind of it's kind of cool that, I mean, I know that it was very literal, but. I mean, you washing his feet was mm. very, very literal. But like now we're going into, like we're going into the um. So this weekend is Easter weekend, mm-hmm. so tomorrow's Good Friday, and um, like it's. Man, was telling me the other night. This is the week that Jesus kissed Judas and knew exactly. Yeah knew exactly what was going to happen and he still chose to wash his feet mm. and dine with him and which I mean I know is completely and totally off topic but well it's not really though I mean it's that's but being being Jesus I mean that's mm-hmm. that's that's who Jesus was I mean and us being called as Christians I mean we're called to hang out with the weirdos and and the uh, I mean heck I'm I'm weird um you're weird in your own way that's true so our our common theme in our um in our Bible study group for the past god for 6 months or so maybe even longer than that has been being proactive mm-hmm. in our walk rather than reactive because it's so easy to just compartmentalize and and then uh, eventually that just leads to regret like with right. like with James 
um, you know, it's, it's so easy for us to compartmentalize and just say, okay, well, I'll just I'll use Jesus when I need him, or I'll be there Sunday and I'll experience the whole the whole Christian thing, or I'll be missional when it's convenient. Right. Yeah. Um, a good a good friend of mine. Well, I say a good friend of mine, an acquaintance of mine, uh, who's also a pastor. Um, who I've not seen in several years, he used to say, um, you know, the, the Great Commission says go. Mm. If you can't go, send. But if you're not sending or going, you're disobeying. Right. Um, and, I mean, it's not like you have to go international. I mean, there's people here in, in Dublin where, where we're sitting that that need Jesus. Just That's like, Dublin, Georgia, not D- not Dublin, Dublin Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. Well, I mean, there's people in Dublin, Ireland that need Jesus too. I'm sure. But we're not in Dublin, Ireland. That is accurate. Yeah. But I don't know. You just um, that's that's been our common theme for the past like six months is being intentional in our actions, looking for those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Um, and being proactive in our in our walk rather than reactive, because it's so easy to be Christian whenever it's convenient or when it's time to be, right? And then when you get home, it's flip of a switch and that's turned off, and, right? And you go back to being, well, I'll pick that back up whenever I have time or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh. It's been interesting, which that led that led me into, you know, I was I was playing music at our church, and I'd been playing for a few years, and it it had become more of a more of a job than worship. So I took a step back because I I was like, man, that's like that's not what it's for, and like I'm I'm not doing it for the for the right reasons, and you know whatever the case may be or whatever was going through my, and I still, I, so I took the hiatus. I'm still on the hiatus and I intend to go back eventually, but, um, I just realized, you know, I'm not doing like it. I'm not doing what I'm supposed to. Mm-hmm. And then that led me to, uh, go to, um, a group called engage global and they, they, um, they're really great. Matter of fact, I have a meeting with them today, um, in just a few minutes. Um, they're really great in, in mobilizing people. They've mobilized something like 60-something, like 65, 68 people into the field. And I'm talking long-term missionaries. Right. Um, they're moving international, moving their whole family over for 20, 30 years and planning churches and reaching unreached people groups. Um, so I was I tried to be obedient in you know, stepping out in that and trying to figure out where my place was. Am I a goer? Am I a sender? Am I an intercessor? Am I what am I? Um, and um, and then that led into the Turkey trip, mm. going to Turkey, and that was a a great experience in itself. And and um, I mean, it's just being obedient in what you're in what you're called. And I mean, like you think about. James preached a sermon at his funeral. Mm-hmm. You know, right? And I'm I'm sure that, may, I mean, maybe there were even some salvations at a, at a funeral. The right. man didn't. He preached a sermon with his life, led people to Christ yeah. without speaking a word. Right? You know, mm-hmm. and like I, 
I, I hope to one day when I'm laying in a casket or, or if sewn into an American flag with two <laughs> nine pound round shot at your feet, you guys need to listen to how Matt wants to be sent to the other side. Yeah. Well, maybe for on another day on another day. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, like I, like I, I hope that my life is viewed that way mm-hmm. whenever I go to the other side. When I when I step into eternity, the like I I hope that there are people there because of the way I live my sure. life. Um, now, by no means was am I perfect, or was I ever perfect and. Like I hope that people don't remember me for stupid decisions that I made, or um, you know the life that I used to live, or whatever. But um, like I, I want my life to be now. I want my life to be a reflection um, of of what God calls our life to be. Right. So I don't know. That's. I think that's the right perspective, and that's kind of what I land on is. So there's this one one interaction that, given the opportunity, I would do differently. With James, you mean? Right. Um, but I don't live in in that regret, or I don't let that regret kind of take over. Um, you know, the way forward from that is just say, all right, well, remember the good and the positive, and um, what a cool opportunity to get to know somebody that, um, used their giftings and was missional all the time. Mm-hmm. I, and I mean, it changed my life and changed the way that I look at things and, and the way that I, I enter into interactions. Um, so yeah, I mean, even in that, maybe that's a positive too, coming out the other side of this. So I think that's kind of a good way to, to land on this one is that uh, there are those opportunities, and, and anytime we do have those kind of experiences, what we what we take away, hopefully, is pushing us closer to being more missional, more willing to answer the call, share the gospel, be Jesus to someone else, yeah, um, wherever we are. I think that's a good time for a break. Yeah, I think we can take a break at that. Good deal, pickle. <laughs>